Well, hi, friends. This is Matthew Dowling, and I am your host for The Preacher Cast, a discussion of Christianity, the Church, and life in Christ. This is the January 25th, 2021 edition of The Preacher Cast, and today we'll be looking at a number of items in the news. As always, today's discussion will be rooted in the Holy Bible, the inerrant and infallible Word of God. After the news, we turn our attention to the Q&A segment of the Preacher Cast, where I answer questions submitted by a listener each week. If you would like to submit a question to the Preacher Cast to be answered by me, email me at smdowling at gmail.com. This week's question is, and it's really two questions, is there such a thing as true love? Following the Q&A, I will share this week's Preacher Tip, this week's tip is about listening better to members of your church family. Now, before we turn to the podcast, let me remind you that you can check out my blog and take advantage of the resources there, including a daily devotional published each morning. You can access my website at matthewdowling.org. You can subscribe to The Preacher Cast over at anchor.fm. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash preachercast, and you can access previous episodes of the show. You can subscribe to The Preacher Cast on Apple iTunes or on all major podcast distributors. Okay, let's now turn our attention to this week's news and analysis. There was plenty of news to share as our nation began a new chapter in its history with a new president and vice president this week. This week, we marked the anniversary of the 1973 majority decision from the Supreme Court, which made it constitutional to have an abortion. Since Roe v. Wade, there have been 62,553,810 deaths by abortion in the United States. It's the number one cause of death. Last Saturday, President Trump recognized Religious Freedom Day in a special proclamation and encouraged Christians to celebrate one of the nation's most cherished and fundamental values. NARAL, Pro-Choice America, believes we have to reimagine a world where access to abortion is a reality for everyone. This is a new and reinvigorated NARAL, which is a pro-choice, pro-abortion organization, which intends to see greater access to abortion for all. This week, we also learned that Joe Scheidler, a leading advocate of the pro-life movement, has died. And then we learned this week that Dr. Anthony Fauci assures us that the United States will remain a member of the World Health Organization and will support the sexual and reproductive health of women and girls. To that end, President Biden will be revoking the Mexico City policy, so-called, which allows American foreign policy dollars to push a pro-abortion agenda in our foreign affairs. We also learned this week that Nancy Pelosi will be delivering articles of impeachment concerning President Trump to the Senate today, that is Monday, January 25th. We also learned this week, strangely, that the Capitol riot on January 6th is said to have begun 30 minutes prior to the end of President Trump's speech. This creates a challenge for those who suggest that the pro or excuse me, the Capitol riots were really provoked by President Trump in his speech. 
It turns out that the riots had already begun by the time he started speaking. We also learned this week that Mike Lindell, the founder and CEO of the group MyPillow, a company, is under fire from major retailers like Kohl's and Bed Bath & Beyond, who have recently dropped his products because of his support of President Trump. We also learned this week that more than 22,000 people have signed a petition calling for Franklin Graham, that is the son of Billy Graham, to be fired from Samaritan Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association due to his support for President Trump. We also saw thousands of National Guardsmen stationed in Washington, D.C. congressional buildings being told to vacate the premises this week and to take rest breaks during their 12-hour shifts either outside or in nearby parking garages. 5,000 troops were allegedly forced to rest on the hard floors of a parking garage that lacked internet reception and contained a single electrical outlet and lone restroom with just two stalls. We also learned this week that the vice president of White Castle, that is the burger chain, has indicated that raising the federal minimum wage from $7.25 per hour to $15 per hour would force the foreclosure, excuse me, the closure of nearly half of his company's locations. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, representative, thinks it's time to pour more money into efforts to de-radicalize and to deprogram the population. Surprisingly, she meant the over 75 million people that voted for President Trump. And then finally, in this rapid-style news analysis uh, survey, a prayer service for the Joe Biden administration featured a trans activist, Catholic nuns, and a reading for the Quran. When we return, more news from around the world as we think about these things through the lens of the Christian worldview. Next up in the news, Nigerian Muslims kidnap and then murder a Catholic priest. On Saturday, January 16th, the body of Father John Gabakan, a Catholic priest, was found mutilated and tied to a tree in Nigeria, Africa. This according to reports from International Christian Concern. The Muslim terrorist group Boko Haram is likely behind it. Father Gabakan, his brother, and another priest were all kidnapped the day before as they returned to Niger. Shortly after the kidnapping, the abductors told Father Gabakan's diocese that they needed $80,000 to release him and the two others. After negotiations, they lowered the ransom to $13,000. Sadly, they killed Father Gabakan. The two other are likely still captive. Nigeria continues to rank in the top 10 of Open Doors World Watch List in 2021 of the worst countries in the world for the persecution of Christians. Please pray for God to comfort and strengthen Father Gabakan's family. Next up in the news, President Biden calls for unity this week during his inauguration, even while demonizing opponents. In his inaugural address, given to a smattering of officials and an empty mall, President Biden openly advocated for unity. However, ironically, in a non-unifying tweet on January 7th, President Biden labeled Trump supporters who gathered at the Capitol on January 6th, the vast majority of whom were peaceful, as domestic terrorists. Then we heard this week the pastor's ironic call at the inauguration to care for the most vulnerable. 
At the conclusion of the inauguration ceremony, Pastor Sylvester Beeman of Bethel AME Church in Wilmington, Delaware, delivered the four-and-a-half-minute benediction, acknowledging the holiness of God, this according to reports from Christian headlines. Pastor Beeman urged Americans to care for one another. He said this, quote, We will care for our most vulnerable, our children, the elderly, the emotionally challenged, and the poor. Pastor Beeman's call that we care for our most vulnerable, including our children, was especially ironic in light of President Biden's declaration last April that killing unborn babies was an essential medical service during the coronavirus pandemic. In addition, President Biden's health care plan would expand abortions by forcing insurance companies to cover abortions as essential health care under Obamacare. Next up in the news, Robert Jeffress, God is still on the throne. Pray for President Biden. Last Sunday, Pastor Robert Jeffress of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, said that while he was disappointed that Joe Biden was set to be the next president, he was not depressed. Saying this, quote, I'm not depressed. I'm not discouraged. I'm not downtrodden over the fact for one simple reason. Even though the occupant of the Oval Office is changing this week, the occupant of the throne in heaven is not changing at all. God is on his throne in heaven. Daniel 2, verse 21 says, It is God who establishes kings and removes kings. God is the one who determines all authority. He is in control of it all. Robert Jeffress went on to say this, quote, We are to pray for the government leaders. We are to pray for Joe Biden. And we are to pray for Kamala Harris. And we are to pray for every elected official. In 1 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul said, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all those who are in authority. That means we don't just pray for government leaders we voted for, the ones that we like or the ones that we support. We are to pray for all of them. Why? So that we might live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. End quote. Please pray that President Biden will not follow through on his promises to push abortion, to advocate for LGBTQ plus rights that would infringe upon Christian liberty, and that Christian churches will be protected. Next up in the news, news from uh, India, where Indian Hindus are said to have destroyed a church building. In fact, we are learning that Hindu radicals recently destroyed a church building under construction in India's Telangana state last Wednesday. The Hindu mob stormed the construction site, harassed the volunteers working on the building, and broke down the pillars and walls. The mob claimed the church was being built too close to a Hindu temple. Pastor Afzal told International Christian Concern, quote, We have waited for nearly 22 years to have a permanent church structure. Yesterday's incident has shattered me and my church, end quote. It turns out, sadly, such attacks are common in the country. But Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Last Tuesday, the United States became the first country in the world to label communist China's treatment of the Uyghur people as genocide. The announcement came from the Trump administration the day before the swearing-in of Joe Biden to the presidency. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said China has targeted ethnic and religious minorities through forced labor, forced sterilization, and forced abortion. 
Then news from Scotland, where 500 church leaders in Scotland signed an open letter calling on the government to reverse its ban on worship services. Scotland is the only jurisdiction in the United Kingdom to criminalize church attendance under current coronavirus restrictions. 30 church leaders also signed a letter saying that they will take legal action against the Scottish government if the church services are not lifted. God said in Exodus 10 and verse 3, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. In his first day in office, the first 24 hours, we learned that President Joe Biden issued a dozen executive orders on his first day in office aimed at reversing numerous Trump administration policies. The orders included mandating masks on federal property for 100 days, rejoining the World Health Organization and the Paris Climate Agreement, halting construction on the U.S.-Mexico border wall, and protecting sexual lifestyles, LGBTQ+, in federal workplaces. Biden also plans on reversing the Mexico City policy and restoring taxpayer funding to the international abortion industry. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops denounced Biden's opening executive orders as quote-unquote moral evils that threaten the liberty of the church. A federal court ruled this week to block the enforcement of the Obama-era directive known as the Transgender Mandate. The rule required medical professionals to participate in gender transition procedures, even if it violated their religious beliefs. The ruling marks the second time a federal court has blocked the Obama administration rule. This is ultimately a good thing. We also learned this week that one of President Donald Trump's lasting impacts is reshaping the federal judiciary. Pew Research reports over a quarter of active federal judges were appointed by President Trump. This includes three Supreme Court justices and 30 percent of all active appeals court judges and 27 percent of all active district court judges. In fact, it's known now that President Trump flipped the balance of several appeals courts from a majority of Democratic appointees to a majority of Republican appointees. In fact, in just one term, President Trump appointed 54 federal appellate judges compared with President Obama's 55 appointments over two terms. We also learned this week that United States coronavirus deaths exceeded 400,000, that was on Tuesday, with case numbers topping 24 million. Weekly coronavirus deaths peaked in December at 17,000, but were down last week to about 2,000. Reuters reports the national rate of hospitalizations leveled off over the last couple of weeks. And finally, Jay Sutton An 18-year-old Georgia student received a new car recently after a kind-hearted woman noticed he was walking seven miles to and from work each day. Sutton was saving to buy a car, but Lavonda Wright Myers observed the diligent student and organized a campaign for him after giving him a ride to work one day. Myers told Fox News, quote, We need more love in this world. Hate and division has plagued this world, and I'm determined to do my part, one person at a time. Acts 20 and verse 35 says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, that's the news for this week's Preacher Cast. After the break, we'll return and take on a couple of relationship questions. Is there such a thing as true love? 
We'll be back after the break. Is there such a thing as true love? That's in the uh, listener bag this week. Writer writes this. She says, I am in my early 20s, and I've always had very high moral standards. I date a lot, but frankly, I'm very disillusioned about men because they all seem to be interested in, all they seem to be interested in is sex. I want someone to love me for myself, but now I'm beginning to wonder if there is such a thing as true love. For some reason, and I appreciate this question very much, thank you for sending it, I'm reminded of a very popular song many decades ago, which contained the following lyric, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, there is a lot of so-called love in our world today, which is not really love, but is instead based on selfishness. It is based on lust. In fact, I seem to recall a great many conversations from people who admitted to me that they got married because they wanted their own selfish needs satisfied, and they only later came to realize that this really doesn't work. But uh, my answer is to this dear questioner, yes, there is such a thing as love, honest, selfless love, what is called true love. And of course, this is the kind of love that the Bible talks about when it speaks of God's love for us. It is also the kind of love that the Bible describes briefly but profoundly in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. There the apostle writes that love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. My prayer for this dear listener is that they will stick to their standards, and I believe if you do, you will be glad you did in the years ahead. But you know more than that, I pray that you will commit this whole area of your life, in fact, every area of your life, to Jesus Christ. Because I really do believe God wants to teach you what true love is, as you come to experience and understand his love for you. You know, he also has his perfect will for your life, including, I believe, your future husband, if indeed it is his will for you to be married. So don't be satisfied with anyone less than the one who is God's will for your life's mate, no matter what the pressures might be. We do live in a time, I realize, even as I answer this, when God's standards are often dismissed or, or even counted as old-fashioned and useless. But I believe, dear friend, that God's standards have not changed, and neither have his promises to those who follow Christ. I believe there are still in this world many young men who are seeking to honor God in their lives, and you should trust 
God that he will lead you in the way that is best for your life. So hang in there, hang in there, and maintain a prayer life which seeks after a godly young man. And I believe it will be helpful, helpful, and God will be an ever-present help in time, in time. Well, the next question, and I'm taking two this week because it feels like these belong together. Uh, Listener writes this, my boyfriend is not perfect, and sometimes I wonder if he would make a very thoughtful or sensitive husband. But I am afraid of letting go of him because I wonder if I'll ever find another husband. What should I do about him? Well, I suspect there are many women who hear that question who would likely say, um, I can relate to that. Or I suspect there are many women who would like to maybe say to you, the one who wrote this question, don't you feel you feel you have to take the first eligible man who comes along? I mean, if he's sensitive and or insensitive and selfish now, he will be insensitive and selfish as a husband. You know, and they would probably talk about their regret. And so there is a danger there, and I think that's why this question is a great one. Uh, I date somebody very insensitive. I'm not sure they're going to be a sensitive husband later on. But even as I say that, I really want to acknowledge that no husband or wife is going to be perfect, of course. After all, you probably have your own faults as well. But seriously, my concern for you is this. More than anything else, you need to learn to trust your future to God and to obey Him. And of course, that's true for everything in our lives, including our marriages. One of the greatest truths of the Bible is that God loves us. And because He loves us, He wants to give us what is best for us. I firmly believe that if it is God's will for you to be married, just like I said to the other question, then he has likely already chosen a man who should be your husband. And so what you really need to do is to seek God's will and to trust him because God's will is best. Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11, Jesus said this, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So my final advice would be look for a husband who honors Christ in his life and wants God's will to be done. I do believe that for the man who does those things, that man will be loving and sensitive, and it will be your joy to be loving and sensitive to his needs in return. That being said, I'm afraid to say when I first married my dear wife, I was a very selfish person, I now realize looking back. And so God can sanctify us even if we're not perfect and grow us into the men we need to be. So it might take a little time, but be patient and seek after the Lord's will. That's our questions uh, to be answered this week when we return in our final segment, a preacher tip for the week, and then we're out. Be right back. In our final segment here today, I want to share this week's preacher tip. This week's tip about being a better preacher concerns listening. How do we listen better to members of our church family? 
Well, this is a really important aspect of what it means to be a minister. We need to uh, be good listeners for the members of our flock, for those that we serve. And how do we do that? Well, the first thing that I would say is that to be a better listener to those in your church, you really need to be present to them. Now, presence is an idea that I think is is very important, and it means that we are, when we are with somebody, that we are actually with them. And you've experienced what it's like to be with somebody, but they not really be with you. Maybe you've been having a conversation or lunch with a friend, and the phone, the phone in their hand, it's like they're they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, they're messing around with whatever, they're texting, you're trying to have a conversation with them, and they're in another place. That's a good example of what it feels like not to be present. So very basically, if you want to be a better listener, you need to start by being present to those who are talking to you. Uh, I know if you're like me, you have many conversations with numerous people on Sunday morning before or after the worship service. Even in a distracted space like that, I think you can be present to somebody. You can focus your attention on them. You can listen actively, ask reflective questions about what they're saying, and you can show them by your body language that you're paying attention. And of course, you don't want to just fake that. You really need to be paying attention. One of the things that I do as a point of practice so that I can listen better to people, even in distracted settings like a church service afterwards when there's a lot of activity, is I had a little notebook in my pocket, my suit coat, and I have a pen in my pocket. And if somebody tells me something that I think it would be important to follow up on or remember as a prayer request, I write that down right in front of them as a note and a reminder to show them that I'm listening well, and then I follow up on that. So we need to work on being present to people. The second thing that we need to do, and this is a part of being present to people, is we need to listen to them. Now, you'd be surprised how often it is uh, tempting, I think, in the ministry to listen to somebody for a small period of time and then start formulating your own response to what they're saying. You know, they're sharing some things, but you're already off in your mind and you're formulating a response. Why do ministers do this? Well, I think it's because there's a certain cultural expectation that you need to always have something to say. You need to be a kind of guru or share your wisdom. Let me let you off the hook from that pressure to say that you don't have to be a guru. Okay, you don't have to know everything about everything. It's better oftentimes to just listen to people and listen to them and let them share. One of the things I'm really aware of in my own ministry is, you know, I'm up Sunday after Sunday preaching in the pulpit, and oftentimes our people will sit and listen to me preach for 25 minutes, and it's not a dialogue, it's me preaching. And so when I come out of the pulpit, I like to listen to people. I like to hear them share their story. I've been able to share my lesson, my message for the day. It is their turn. And so I try to make sure in order to balance my teaching and preaching ministry that I have a kind of listening ministry and I will listen to people. 
And so you want to actively listen. You want to uh, listen more than you speak and make sure that you're asking questions that are open-ended, that help somebody share more with you. And then the third and final thing I would offer to you is this. When you are listening, it is good to listen with empathy and compassion and to try to determine what the theme of the conversation is. You know, this won't surprise you to hear, but I'm sure you know already. People will often say things that they're not exactly communicating the underlying things. And so you know how this goes. You'll look at somebody and everything about their demeanor or their uh, body language tells you they're not doing fine. But you ask them, hey, George, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. Well, (laughs) it is totally okay to say, Really? You know, George, I experience you right now with your face full of worry and your body just just suggesting to me that things are not fine. How are you really doing? And then listen to see if they'll go ahead and open up about how they're doing. I think sometimes we get so trained to give superficial answers that we really need to listen between the words read between the lines, so to speak, and try to pick up on what people are saying. So be present to people. Uh, Certainly use active listening and, and make a record of things that need to be remembered. And then really try to determine the theme, what's really going on below the surface, and ask good questions to help you get there. Well, that does it for this episode of The Preacher Cast, a discussion of Christianity, the Church, and life in Christ. I'm always honored when you join me here, and until next time, dear friends, may God bless you.